This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Because of my friend Rick Downs, he called me to repentance on that on many times. Don't start playing Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Uh, but it's a thrill to be here tonight because Rick and I were together in the early 80s, starting Redeemer Church, uh, meeting in our house with Hawthorne, then at the Little Theater where Harvest or Salem Chapel is now. 
Uh, but one of the things that we did early on was when we were just like Salem Church here, a small group of people, we would once a month say, bring a sandwich, we're going to stay after church, and we're going to pray for the growth, the outreach of Redeemer. And part of that was the dream that, that we would start churches. That was part of the dream. So to be here tonight is kind of living the dream for me because uh, Salem is a precious granddaughter of Rick and myself. They come out of what we uh, hope for, dreamed about, uh, having started Redeemer together. Uh, but to see again the beauty of what God's doing here. And so I just want to encourage everybody that Salem is your church home. The Lord is with you and you are highly favored. You are highly favored as a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we begin tonight, I'd like for us to pray. So pray with me. And just pray quietly for somebody uh, near you or for yourself that you could hear the voice of the Good Shepherd tonight. So pray quietly. Now pray for me that I can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd as we launch into this uh, magnificent uh, text. Jesus, thank you that you came for people like us. Thank you that you never quit on us, you never give up on us, you never walk away from our struggles, our burdens, our doubts, our fears. And we pray tonight would be a night where you would change us again back to the orientation that you came to make real for us. And so, Lord, again, um, free us up to live in the joy and the wonder of Christmas and to really be able to celebrate well uh, the one who came as a baby for us. And so, Jesus, help us, we pray. Amen. So I want all the children that are still in here to stand up. So all the children that are still, just stand up. And you're gonna, I'm going to teach you a great song. It's going to fit in with the text. So all the kids, you can come up front. Why don't all the kids come up front? It'll be more fun. So it'll be kind of like a children's message. So come on up, kiddos. All right. Let's just line up right here. Just line up right here. Okay. Now look at me. you got to look at me. So there's, there's signals here. There are hand signals. Very good. All right. So uh, here's the hand signals. First hand signal is these are the mountains. Mountains. Can you make mountains? Okay, great. These are the rivers. Rivers. And what do you think these are? The clouds. The clouds? That's close. What? Stars. Okay. All right. So here's how the song goes. Some of you already know it. All right. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork too. And my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. All right, now we're going to sing it, all right? You ready? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are His, the rivers are His, the stars are His handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Great, awesome, that was really good. Woo!
right, so walk home, don't come back, come back, come back. We're not done yet, come back. So, you know, so how many of you love to be in plays? You like to be in Christmas plays, all right? So you're going to be a part of the play tonight as I'm speaking. And so at certain points, I'm going to say, joy. And you're going to say, is coming, okay? So let's practice this. I'm going to say, joy. And you're going to say, is coming. All right, let's say it in your outside voice, okay? Ready? Joy is coming. All right, that's beautiful. That's awesome. And I'm going to say, how much joy? And you're going to say, ginormous joy. Okay, can you say the word ginormous? Ginormous. Now, if you've seen, how many of you have seen the elf? Buddy, all right, so. Yeah, that's right. So, Buddy loves the word ginormous. Okay, so, uh, so anyway, how much joy? Ginormous joy. Okay, and then I'm going to say, during the message, I'm going to say joy, and you're going to say what? No, 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 that's how much. <laughs> All right, joy, that's right. It's coming, right. Okay, joy is coming. All right, let's practice. Joy is coming. All right, a little bit louder, okay? Joy is coming. Beautiful. How much joy? Ginormous joy. Okay, now you can go sit down. Thank you. So be ready for your part, because I'm going to cue you up, and you're going to have to be ready to go. Okay, joy. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, in this text, we read Luke is writing, and it's uh, we love Christmas. They're sentimental. There's great feelings, but this is coming in a really dark place as Luke is writing for us. For us, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of fear. There's the Roman Empire. There's a lot that's unjust. Mary and Joseph have had to travel a long way. Mary is pregnant, and that's hard. There's a lot going on in this story that's very hard and very difficult, but we tend to sentimentalize this passage and make it sweet. <laughs> and uh, this week, if you heard David Brooks speak here on Thursday night, there was this little back and forth of, you know, what do you like? Do you like unsweet tea? Do you like sweet tea? Uh, do you like collard greens? Do you like kale? You know, it's this back and forth. but. Most of us who grew up in the South, we love sweet tea. And there's something about this passage and we make it overly sweet when we miss the truth that there's a reality here that when we look at it, it reminds us of how much God has entered into our broken world. Now, one of the things that uh, Brooks in his new book called Second Mountain, and if you want to, people say, what do you want for Christmas, Austin? Austin's going to say, I want Second Mountain by David Brooks. Um, it's a great book. I'd say it's the best book I've read in 2019. Uh, it's powerful. It's all about David Brooks' journey. He was a columnist for the New York Times for many years, wrote the op-ed piece. He was sort of a centrist, uh, Republican, conservative writer. Uh, but if you followed and know his career, um, it's all about, first of all, achievement and climbing the first mountain of success and what he would call developing resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. Um, it's, a, it's a powerful book to read, uh, and we won't have time here tonight, but it's worth reading even if you go into a bookstore or you borrow it from a friend. Just read his introduction where he talks about six types of joy. He goes in real depths of saying, here's what joy looks like. 
Now, David Brooks, who grew up a secular Jew in New York City, has now become a believer in Jesus Christ. He has just recently begun to talk about a personal relationship that he now has with Christ. And you, re- you sort of pick that up through the book Second Mountain. But Second Mountain is about people who are living on the first mountain are really all in it for themselves. It's my kingdom come, my will be done. Second mountain people are people who life has broken them. And uh, it has broken them in such a way that they figured out living for yourself is not what it's all about. But living for something bigger and greater is what it's all about. And Brooks is going to use this little phrase in there. He's going to talk about the difference between being broken down and broken open. And what we see in this passage, what we see in here is God is breaking in. So that in our brokenness, rather than breaking down and hardening our hearts and becoming cold and indifferent to our own suffering and the suffering of other people, it breaks us open for something bigger and greater than you could ever hope for or imagine. So joy! What happens to joy? All right, come on everybody, kids. This is your part. Joy is what? Coming. Thank you. How much joy? Ginormous joy. Ginormous joy. That Jesus coming, there would be good news of ginormous joy for anybody who will look in faith away from themselves to the God who would love us so well that your life, my life, Salem Press, when people talk about Salem Press, man, if you need joy, go to Salem Press. <laughs> They got so much joy. I mean, it's like a fountain of joy. It's so much joy is going on there. Why? Not because it's in and of ourselves. Not because we've earned it. Not because we deserve it. Not anything else. Is that we are in awe of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are so thrilled that the truth of this good news that God promises us is staggering beyond belief. But here's the struggle for all of us. Uh, This week I heard a guy just talking about a story. He was saying, you know, there's a difference between the way we think about ourselves and the way we think God sees us versus the way he really does see us. So maybe as you launch into this Christmas, you came tonight, you're thinking a lot about what you think, or maybe you're pretty discouraged what God thinks about you. And joy is coming. Uh, There's such good news if you're stuck there. Because I want to tell you, there is a radical, radical difference, a revolutionary difference, if you will begin to see yourself the way God sees you. If you'll begin to be in the Word and begin to dig into the truth of what God says about His commitment to you through Jesus Christ, and you begin to receive that and rest in that and trust it, it will radically, 180 degrees, Change your life night and day to a life that you never thought possible because nothing is impossible with God. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was at the Forsyth County Prison Ministry breakfast invited by a good friend of mine. uh, And his company was sponsoring the breakfast. There were about 500 people there. And I heard about the two speakers that were going to be at the breakfast. Um, And it was two guys who were best friends, and the title of their book is I'll Push You. You can watch the trailer for the movie, you can stream it, 
great Christmas movie for you guys to watch uh, with your family and friends. Uh, it's also a TED Talk uh, that they did. But there are two guys that grew up in Oregon. And, and growing up in Oregon, they were best friends. When you read the book, it's just funny. Uh, their nicknames for each other, all the trouble they got in, and how deeply they loved each other. Uh, went to the same college, grew up in the same church. It's a journey of faith and friendship. But at some point, obviously, uh, Patrick is going to move to Boise, Idaho. And Justin's going to move to San Diego. They're married, they have kids, but they're still such best friends. They talk on the phone, they email, they text, and all that. And Justin comes down with this very terrible disease, which is like ALS. And the disease basically takes away the ability to use all your muscles. And so here, a couple weeks ago, on Thursday morning at the Benton Convention Center, I'm sitting there very close to Justin, who's in a wheelchair that he can raise up so you can hear him speak. And he basically can tilt his head, use his arms a little bit. At one point, he was just trying to use the toggle switch on his wheelchair, because I'm sitting really close to him, and I can see how frustrated he was to make it work. And at one point, he's just trying to get his, he just kind of, you could just see his frustration in trying to make his wheelchair work. Well, he's there, that's Justin, who's living in San Diego, and Patrick, and Patrick uh, lives in Boise, Idaho, and, boy, and he's an athlete, and he's ripped, and he's just, I mean, an amazing guy. But uh, as Justin's health begins to decline, they're trying to really, he's trying to stay connected to Justin, Patrick is, and trying to help him. But Patrick would say, I've never been more angry at God than over what happened to Justin. And he just said, I just live with this ongoing anger towards God. Now, I've got to believe here tonight, there's some of you here tonight that you'd say, that's me, I'm, I'm angry. <laughs> I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm here. I love coming to Salem. It feels safe to me. But if you put me in a corner and drink some coffee or a good beer at uh, Austin's Beer House over here, uh, you're going to go, man, I am so pissed at God for what is going on in my life right now. I am so stinking angry at God. That was Patrick. He's telling this story. Justin is in a dark hole of depression. He just said, I, I'm, I can't use my body. I can't, I can't hug my kids. Uh, I can't, and I'm in total depression. But their friendship was kind of sustaining them. So anyway, uh, Patrick invites uh, Justin and his family from San Diego up to Boise. They're going to church. Uh, takes him to their, his church, Patrick does. And he said, it's in this lobby where this older man is talking to Justin in his wheelchair. And he says, the conversation is so intense. Patrick says, I've got to get in this because he could tell they're, they're just in it, you know, face to face. I got to get in on this conversation. And he gets there right when the older man says to Justin, would you like to have the use of your hands and feet again? Uh, or would you stay right where you are? And Patrick is like, he wants to slam this guy. You know, like, really? That, that's the question you're asking my friend that I love? Would he like to have his hands and feet again? And, and then he said, I was shocked when Justin said, no, I think I'd stay right where I am because of what God is teaching me, what I'm learning about God in the midst of my suffering. And Patrick's kind of stunned, and he just kind of steps back. And then he hears himself say, 
And he, he said on Thursday morning a few weeks ago, he said, I, I just felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to say, I'll be your hands and feet. So after that event, uh, Justin is in their house. Everybody's outside playing, enjoying the beauty of Idaho. And Justin is stuck in front of the TV and he watches a Rick Steves travel through Europe program. Now, I'm not going to shame anybody here to say, because it'll date you how many of you watch Rick Steves travelogs, okay? But it's all about traveling the Camino de Santiago, which is from southern France, all across northern Spain, 500 mile pilgrimage. And as Justin is watching that, he says this, he says, I want to do that. Now he's totally crippled at this point. Patrick says, do you ever have friends in your life who always are coming up with great ideas and they come in and Patrick says, and Justin says, hey, I have a great idea. And Patrick says, oh, crap. <laughs> really? Uh, you know, you want to do what? And then Justin says, I want to do this. And so the whole story of I'll Push You is about them doing the 500 miles in 35 days. So you do the math. With basically Patrick, they get this really fancy wheelchair. And Patrick and other people on the way pull, push, carry Justin the 500 miles. But at the start of the story, so let me just give a little sidebar. I want to give a little plug down for Salem Prez doing the pilgrimage. Austin, maybe you could lead a group of people to do the Camino uh, as a way of bringing building community. I know you'd love to do that. Uh, and so anyway, um, so, um, so they start off. And the first part of, you go straight up in the Pyrenees, 17 miles straight up. It's incredibly difficult, it's incredibly hard, it's incredibly impossible. And as they're doing it, if you've ever hiked in the mountains, and particularly in the Rockies or other places, you can be on trails and then it's loose rock. And at the loose rock, they had to carry Justin. There was a friend from Boise with Patrick, and they were literally carrying him 100 yards, had to put him down, and then they kind of basically, uh, they basically are passing out because they're so exhausted. So Justin is laid down in this little grassy spot. He's laying there and all of a sudden he feels somebody tapping, patting him on the lap, uh, on the face. And it's this Frenchman. This Frenchman is kind of smacking him and saying, in French, what are you doing? You are crazy. You cannot do this. And, uh, and so Justin could speak Spanish. So they switch over to Spanish and they have this crazy conversation. And Patrick and the other guy come up, but the Frenchman realizes, you really want to do this. You really want to do this. And so he goes from skeptical, cynic, to, I'll help you. So he starts walking ahead of them to show them where a hostel is, where they can camp or sleep for the night. And then he turns around and he yells at them through the top of his lungs. He says, the impossible is possible. And Patrick, who's telling this story, gets very emotional and begins to weep. And he says, the power of words. The power of words. And Proverbs it says, words have power for life and death. And you're wise if you learn to use words that bring life, life to people. So when you look at this passage, if you go home and read it tonight and you think about it, it's what the angel said to Mary. Now, the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, <laughs> you're highly favored, and the Lord is with you. Now, I want you to just 
sit with this for a second. Uh, just pretend like you're sitting with me over coffee. And I just look at you and go, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. How do you, how do you sit with that? Does that ring true? Does that thrill you? Or does that just raise lots of questions? If you remember Mary's response, her response is what you have to love about the Bible. If you're looking to know God and interested in Christianity, the Bible is so real. Because it says Mary was deeply disturbed and trying to figure out what is going on here. So if I'm sitting there with you and go, hey, let me just tell you how highly favored you are by God. And the Lord is with you. And you go, wait a minute, whoa, 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 slow down. You're just throwing a lot of stuff at me right now that I'm not sure I believe and all that. That's okay. We can start there. We can work with that. We can go with that. But when the shepherds, you know, see the angels show up, and again, the lowest of the low, and Luke, the gospel of the kingdom, coming to the, the poor, coming to the least of these, uh, the angels announce, we have good news of great joy for anybody. We have good news of great joy. So let's work our way back to the good news here for Salem Press and for your ministry here in the church uh, and in the community, but also for your family, for your marriage, for your parenting. Um, there is really great joy available to you. Great joy. When Paul is doing a diagnostics in Galatians 4, he's going to say to the Galatians who kind of lost it, they wandered off, they, they can't figure out how they got so lost, how they got so consumed again by their effort. He's going to say, where is your joy? So a question we can ask her. That's right, it's coming. Thank you. That's perfect. Thank you uh, for that. So joy is coming. Yes, thank you. That's great. How much joy? Ginormous joy. Yeah, well, that's perfect. That's perfect. Ginormous joy. But to think about not only how much joy do I have, do I have joy? And again, let me do a little plug for a second mountain where Brooks talks about six different kinds of joy. The sixth one is worth reading. Just it's right there in the introduction of the book. Um, is the, how much joy is inside of you right now? <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's coming. Yeah, I'm going to have to use another word. How about good stuff? The joy is coming. Uh, but the capacity, ginormous joy. Are you connecting to that? Do you feel that? Do you know that? And again, in, in the midst of suffering, darkness, the shepherd's life, what they were living in extreme poverty, they hear this, there's going to be great joy, and it's backed up by this good news. And what's the good news? That Jesus... Is a friend of sinners, of rebels, of lonely, of the lost, of the last, of the least, of the lame. And a friend of mine says, and the loony. Okay? Uh, Jesus came to rescue a loser like me, a lonely person like me, a lost person like me. And this guy who witnessed to me when I was 19, he basically asked this question, who do you think Jesus is? Because Jesus announces the good news, but he is the good news. Makes me think of that illustration of, uh, uh, use a men's thing, what kind of animal, where uh, a sport, the ESPN person was interviewing the shortstop for the LA Dodgers and talking about a TV show that will not go out and name where there are dragons in the show. And so uh, 
And basically the sports writer is saying to him, would you rather own the dragons or use the dragons to crush your enemies? And the shortstop says, who's from North Carolina? He says, I am the dragon. <laughs> okay. I am the dragon. But when you begin to intersect with who Jesus is for you, who is the good news, and that begins to fill you up and light you up like a Christmas tree, uh, you've got good news. So I want you to go with me. I'm in London. We're handing out literature for an outreach event among people from India and Pakistan. And we scatter out through this neighborhood. And I'm standing on a corner. And you know how it is when you have to witness and you don't want to witness. And I'm a pastor and I should want to witness. But I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to hand out stuff to Sikhs and Muslims and Hindus are walking by. And, you know, you get self-conscious. I'm looking in the the window and I'm self-conscious about my weight and the loss of hair and all that stuff. I'm feeling sorry for myself. And uh, so I'm just standing there here. Would you like, you know, here, would you like, you know, and you know, everybody's like, uh. so down on this other corner is a student, college student. And he's saying, good news. I have got good news. I have got such good news. And he's just handing, he's just handing out in Hindus and Sikhs. And people are going, wow, Uh, they're taking his literature. The joy is coming. So I want to encourage you as you greet people this Christmas, as you're going through the checkout line, you're going through the neighbors, let's try and get this picture. Maybe this will help you. To get ready for the caroling at Salem Press, uh, we're going to rent a white horse. and We're going to have Austin ride through the neighborhoods. We're going to put him in a great Christmas costume with lights and a great hat. And he's just going to ride through the neighborhood saying, joy is coming. It's coming. He's going to sing out, joy is coming. And that's his job for the next few weeks leading up to the Christmas carol, which is at 7 o'clock. Okay? Uh, so, and then we're going to have Ben walk the neighborhoods, and we're going to give him a Gandalf costume. Okay? We're going to have to get Ben a wig, you know, a big white hair wig, a big white style. And he's going to walk the neighborhoods and he's going to say, joy is coming. And how much joy? Ginormous joy. (laughs) That's great. But you know, and so we're going to set up our Christmas carol, caroling with joy. Joy is coming. So much joy. Good news and great joy because Jesus, a friend of people like you and me, would lay down his life so that we would find glory when the angels say glory to God in the highest. Now here's how you know you can, you're just kind of, you're locking into Christmas. You feel the weight of the glory. You feel glory means it's a weight. It weighs on you, not oppressively, but joyfully. It's a reminder. It's like, I feel the weight of the joy, of the glory of God. And I want other people to know this wonderful thing that weighs so wonderfully into my soul about the glory of God. Now, if I was joining Salem tonight, I might use this, but it would probably be too geeky to say this. But if Ben said, you know, Clyde, what's one of your favorite movies? I would say Nacho Libre. All right. Do I have any Nacho Libre fans in here? Thank you. All the wake section over here is uh, right there with me. Um, this movie is so bad, it's good, okay? If you have not watched uh, Nacho Libre, I want to say you haven't lived, but, you know, you are missing something that's really 
So funny. Because there's a great scene in the movie, and again, I'm not going to go off of this. I'm tempted to give you lots of illustrations. But there's a scene in the movie where Jack Black, the Nacho Libre, is trying to get a guy who is a scientist and unbeliever to wrestle with him so they can get food for kids in the orphanage. And, the, and this sort of squirrely, skinny guy's walking away from him. And Jack Black, you know how he cock his eye and his voice, he's talking to him as this guy's walking around and saying, don't you want to do this? And then he says, don't you want a little taste of the glory? <laughs> don't you want a little taste of the glory? My friends, there's a feast of the glory of Christ in this passage. And so when you begin to understand who Jesus is for us and what Christ has done for us, then this happens. Then you know your favor. Because, you know, where it reads in here, it says, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. Now, the King James, you know, would have glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. It's on a lot of Christmas cards. It's on a lot of things. But what the text says, and you can read it in the Luke 2, 14, that the peace, which is not the Pax Romana, it's not political peace, it's not the peace of this world. Jesus said this peace will be divisive because it's going to collide with darkness and light. But the peace, the flourishing, the shalom that the gospel offers us is that we're at peace with God. And here's what happens when you're at peace with God. You're going to see suffering so differently and you might see it right now. When you think about the way God sees you and you're at peace with God, you want to see yourself the way God sees you. And you can go to Romans 5, 1 through 5, and it, and it goes down to verse 3. And uh, Paul's going to say, we rejoice, we exalt in our suffering. Why? Because we're at peace with God. We can receive that peace. We can give that shalom to other people. We can forgive as God has forgiven us. We can love in ways we never thought possible because of this peace that comes from the Prince of Peace who paid the ultimate price so that you and I might be in shalom with our Heavenly Father. Wow. And what does that look like? You are highly favored. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, regardless of where you are, what's going on in your circumstances, your story, is you are highly favored. God's favor rests upon you. You've been given the grace of his peace with him so that all heaven can open up for you to know, okay, this joy which is coming, this joy which is ginormous, this joy which changes the world because people are entering into this second mountain experience of knowing incredible, incredible joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Um, and so, as we conclude, though, here's the struggle: is where does your unbelief show up? Rick and I were trained, and uh, we were really led by a wonderful man who taught us a lot about the gospel. And he says, "My big fear for you as people in ministry is you'll lose your courage." But he also said that unbelief will creep in, and this is how a little diagnostic question is: we end is who do you think that God cannot change? And what situation do you not think that God can change? Another way to think about that, who's in your sphere of influence which you've written off or you've said that person is hopeless 
or this situation is hopeless. He says, as soon as you start believing the gospel, this shalom, this peace that comes from God cannot change somebody. It's working its way into you in a toxic way and it's creating unbelief. It's creating unbelief. And unbelief can take away everything from you that experientially that lets you resonate with this idea. You are highly favored and the Lord is with you. God has given you this gift of together spreading this incredible joy. But pay attention, where's your unbelief showing up? And this is why we need the table. This is why we need to come to this table and remember. In these great books that I love to read, there's a character who the enemy comes to him whenever he's in trouble or he's in a fight that he's losing. And this, this evil spirit will say to him, despair. But as he begins to slide in despair, a voice will come to him, a creature will come to him, someone will come to him and say, remember, remember. And when you remember, you remember the one who made this feast, this most expensive meal that you'll ever eat, just thrill you with the thrill of hope. And again, you will know your worth, your value. Friends, you are so highly favored. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning or this evening that nothing is impossible with you, that the impossible is possible. Lord, forgive us that we lose perspective on the miraculous nature of the kingdom of God and our King, uh, who you are, and how you want to thrill us again with hope and let us find our worth in you. And Lord, tonight, may you reach my sin-sick, weary heart and how easy it is for me to be drowning in my self-pity, my unbelief, my fear, and fill me up with the joy that overflows. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen.